You've seen those movies where they say, make my day, or I'm your worst nightmare. Well, listen to this one. Rubber baby buggy bumpers. Ha! You didn't know I'm gonna say that, did you? Your move, creep. The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. Even now, in this very room. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Doc. Huh? Are you telling me that you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? We kicked its ass. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Film Feast podcast. I am your host, Matt Bledsoe. This week, we are talking about Mystery Men from 1999. Uh, tell me talk about it. I am happy to be joined by someone I've been wanting to have on the show for a very long time. Uh, he is the host of the Fantastic Action Addicts podcast. It's Scott Wiley. Scott, how are you doing? Hi, I'm doing good. I'm I'm glad that you wanted me on for a very long time. It's good to know that someone wants me. So thank you for having me. <laughs> of course, of course. We have, I mean, I don't, people don't know this. We've been planning this for a very long time. We just to get you on this show. <laughs> so yeah, uh, I'm glad it's, it's finally happening. Um, and uh, it's, we're here. We're finally here. So you had me on your show a while ago. Talk about Die Hard was a really good time. So I'm happy to have you on this show. Talk about something else. So <laughs> dude, that Die Hard episode was awesome. Like, uh obviously we're both really difficult because we both have shows that record a lot so scheduling is a nightmare but i'm looking forward to having you back to talk about more action films but i'm i'm happy to finally come over here and talk about something not quite actiony but sort of yeah it's sort of actiony we'll talk about it i'm sure uh it's like, so yeah yeah no i mean it's just tough people's schedules you both have podcasts we're uh like a five hour time difference so it's uh it yeah that doesn't help that doesn't help but uh um but yeah we did it we're here so um happy to have you here um and i'm sure i'm sure most people listen to the show or probably listen to action addicts but just in case they're not uh would you want to tell people a little bit about you and your show of course i mean uh as as for myself my name is uh obviously as uh, matt says scott wiley i am uh sadly uh, creeping along in my 30s and dreading every single year that passes as i do I uh, used to work at a hospital. I currently work in video editing and I started the Action Addicts podcast because I wanted to talk about action films and some action television as well, pretty much because there's a lot of media out there about horror stuff, but there's hardly any media out, out there for action related content. And there's nothing wrong with all the horror stuff. I, I also like horror things, but there is a mass amount of essays, reviews, video essays, series, documentaries about anything and everything you could think of to do with any horror film ever made. And I guarantee you there's probably a thesis out there about how it's an evaluation and analysis of the human condition. You will not find that for any action film. <laughs> and I think that's a shame. And I think that that goes hand in hand with the way in which action films sometimes don't get the same level of respect in the creative arts that other genres enjoy and there's quite a few people online i know yourself uh is among them that don't feel that way and i kind of wanted to make a show that was positive that could highlight things and try to make everything be a friendly place for people to just come and enjoy action movies 
I always give my opinions, even if I don't particularly enjoy a film, I'll still try and find the positives, but I don't hold back on the negatives either. But there's an awful lot of people out there that like action films that perhaps wouldn't have the sort of show that I do. And it would be very tempting to just, you know, rip everything apart and, and be mean about it. But making a film is a very difficult task. And I always take that into account. And, you know, if you're revealed, if you're, Talking about a low-budget movie compared to a high-budget multi-million dollar movie, I'm always going to give the low-budget movie some grace, whereas the high-budget movie, I'm much more happy to tear apart because they have no excuse, frankly. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, you know, in summary, I try to cover movies that are from all over the world, that are from all different decades, and every single week I have a different guest host, and Matt obviously joined us to talk about Die Hard. And uh, yeah, if that sounds like your fun times then i'm over there and you can find me and there's quite a few episodes now so you shouldn't get bored <laughs> yes that's true you have quite a few episodes at this point so everyone should be checking out action addicts uh die hard was funny too to talk about that i kind of had that worry about die hard i'm like what am i gonna say about die hard because you know it's die hard <laughs> and uh you know the super famous movie i thought we found a lot of stuff to talk about i remember being like pleasantly surprised we found a lot of things to chat about with die hard even though it's been talked about like to death at this point <laughs> Well, one of the things that I try to do, and I've said this to the, the oh God, I never know how to quite say this because everybody's a guest. Um, <laughs> the the people that come on to be like co-hosts like yourself, um, I always want it to be more of like a conversation than just, oh, let's talk about this preset point and this, the, you know, how can we equate this to something technical or talk about how good the cinematography is or what emotions did it make you feel? My viewpoint is that conversation still needs to happen and it can definitely happen in the right environment. But a lot of it comes down to, will you bring it up without being prompted to go, so what did you think of this? Because a lot of the time, not always, but a lot of the time, if you really connect with a film and if you really connect with an idea of something, you don't need to have that framework because you're naturally able to bring it up because it did make you feel something or it did give you this that moment of going oh wow i really loved this shot or i really loved what they did with this or i really like this fight scene or whatever it might be and so i'm always much more interested in having conversations where it just sounds like there's two people having a chat ideally like old friends and someone's also recording it and that's kind of what i aim for and it's the same with interviews when i do have people on network within the industry i've had a lot of good feedback from people that listen and from the people involved that they expected to get interviewed and instead they just were allowed to geek out about the industry that they work in, but also happen to really like. And I think that's a better way of doing it personally. I just really like that human conversation as opposed to just let's go through the numbers, you know? Yeah. I mean, we definitely have that in common because I mean, <laughs> I'm all about like free form conversations on this show and just kind of letting it go wherever. I mean, talk about the movie we're talking about, but kind of, I don't like a like a set structure. I don't really like to. I, I'm definitely not one of those shows that goes to a movie plot point by plot point either. <laughs> like I could ever do that. I don't think so. Yeah, I like to let, just have a good conversation with somebody. Like we're just two people talking about movies, and yeah, that's way more interesting to me to listen to and to do. So we're very similar in that way. So I do 
really enjoy shows like that, which is definitely what Action Addicts is, which is why I enjoy that show. <laughs> so um, you do a wonderful job hosting that too. That's because that's uh, yeah, the interview. I'm impressed by the interviews with like industry people. I'm like he handles these so well. <laughs> like uh, you're not you. nervous at all. Uh, you're just like having a conversation. So um, yeah, people should be checking out your show for sure. And speaking of conversations, let's talk about some movies. <laughs> let's uh, let's talk about some stuff you've seen lately. You want to talk about? Uh, well. The most like recent new release I've seen is uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles: Mutant Mayhem, and I really enjoyed watching that. Went to the cinema to see it. Don't go to the cinema very often. I'll, I won't lie. Um, it takes it. It has to be something I'm really interested in to spend the sort of money that going to the cinema costs these days. And uh, my one of my friends really wanted to go and see it, and she was pretty insistent that we go. So I wasn't gonna. I wasn't gonna argue, <laughs> and I really enjoyed it. I. Have you seen it? I have not had a chance to see it yet. I, I, when you said that, I was like, man, I still haven't seen that. And uh, it's kind of come out at a crowded time. I don't know if it's the same like o- over over in your area, but like a lot of stuff's been coming out. It came out like at a really busy time. And I, I'm just busy personally, but I've heard nothing but good things about it. I really want to see it. I've heard all this good stuff about it. <laughs> yeah, so so no no spoilers, but, but my... I, I kind of went in unsure if I would like it because I... I have a weird relationship with the turtles in that I'm not a diehard original fan. I didn't read the original comics to begin with. And I really didn't actually connect with the 1980s cartoon show in the same way that I know lots of other people did the turtles that, well, the original turtles I watched was the God awful Saban live action one that was done in the nineties. Oh, yes. God. The same guy that made power <laughs> Rangers. Um, but I also oh, watched the movies, yeah. you know, the live action movies. They they were very much my sort of introduction to the turtles, which I enjoyed. But the show that actually really got my attention and really opened my eyes to how crazy the universe of TMNT can get when you get past ninjas and shredder is the 2003 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles series, which was a lot more dark, a lot more edgy. Everybody is super serious because it was the early 2000s. And yes, <laughs> that is 100% my bag. So I, I've got all of those on DVD and I don't regret that purchase in the slightest. But the fact that I like the darker, sort of edgier t- version of the Turtles and I, I like the 2012 series as well, I was really unsure whether or not this film was going to work for me because by all the, the trailers, they're very much like screeling kids. And I thought... Yeah, <laughs> there's got to be more to it than that, right? Like that's 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 just going to be at the beginning, and it's kind of not. But it also, like, I think the trailer sort of does them a disservice. I think they would just try to show off all the like funny moments, but it does what, in my opinion, a lot of the other films don't do, which is give them all a good character journey. They all, including Splinter, have stuff going on and stuff that needs to be overcome in order to be better characters than they are at the start of the film. And there's a few twists and surprises that I didn't see coming, which surprised me given how many times I've seen the turtles get rebooted Mm -hmm. that that actually became a positive instead of a negative. I liked all the differences instead of enjoying it in spite of them. I actually really grew to like them because of the differences and that that is not, usual for me so i i had to give it like almost an applause when i finished that this they're so different to the turtles that i'm used to and the rest of the characters are really different too and yet i found myself really enjoying it and i'm really excited to see what they do next with them yeah well that sounds 
really great. Yeah, I, it's funny because like you, I'd seen the trailers too, and I wasn't really into it because I'm like, I don't know. It's like it's like it's is it my turtles type thing, you know? But exactly. Was, yeah, but I was like, that's fine because I a friend of mine really seemed like he was like, this looks like crap. It's like I'm like, dude, they've rebooted the turtles how many times now? Like. You know, it's it's just like I can't even get mad about them doing another version of the Turtles because it's just like it's been it's like the 80s one. You have live action movies. You have that yeah horrific uh one you mentioned from the late 90s that was a uh, TV show that was live action with like the they added the the female turtle like Venus to yep, Milo. Good old, so. <laughs> good old Venus. <laughs> it's just not it's not that that's like that's the least of the show's problems. I think the show is just a terrible show. And then I think they had like a 2000s reboot and then a like a 2010s. I mean, they've just done. So at this point, I'm like, do whatever you want with the turtles. It's fine. I got my turtles that I loved from a, as a kid. Uh, but then a lot of people started saying good things about it. And I was like, oh, well, now I think I kind of want to see this turtles movie because I was probably going to catch it on streaming. But and now at this point, it's been a few weeks. So I still may catch it on streaming, <laughs> but um, I do. I will definitely watch it at some point because, uh, yeah, it sounds it sounds pretty good, actually. So um, just amazing to me. It's not like as like a crazy concept like Ninja Turtles just keeps like coming back to every new generation, it seems like. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's kind of amazing. Um, so. All right. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed that. So uh, what else do you want to talk about? Uh, well, uh, the. Th- I recently finally, I don't really want to talk about this, but I just want to say I recently finally watched The Flash uh, because I'd kind of been putting it off because of the terrible things I've heard about it. But uh-huh. I finally I finally decided to sit down and watch it because I was like, come on, you got to watch it yourself. You got to make up your own mind. Cool. I've watched it. Everybody was right. It's absolutely terrible. Moving on. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Say no more. You're. I get. It. You know what's funny? I went to go see that with a friend of mine, um, who's been on this show uh, many times, named Ken, and we. Uh, it was the first weekend, and we walked out kind of like, like you know, we're, we're, we don't think it's that bad. It's got problems, but we don't think. And then we talked about it a couple of days ago. So this has been a while now so we saw it and we were like what the hell did they pump into that theater because we were talking about stuff in the movie and we were like why were we so like kind to it we left the theater and now we look back on it we're like oh there's a lot of problems with that movie like uh it's got so many issues and i'm like i don't know why i was so generous to it at the time but uh yeah it's not good it's got a lot of it's got a lot of issues um with it uh yeah what a what a mess of a movie <laughs> I was uh, I was having a conversation with my dad and he because he was like really wanting to know my opinion of it. And I basically said, well, you're absolutely right. Once because he hasn't seen it yet. Like once Michael Keaton shows up, it's enjoyable. The problem is that doesn't happen until an hour into the movie. And once he shows up and they do so much work to rebuild his Batman's movie sets <laughs> down Wayne Manor, the yeah. Batcave, and then the music and the theme hits. And I'm like, why am I not just watching a Michael Keaton Batman movie? <laughs> Right, like, right. You've you've completely failed here. <laughs> I I care so little about either of the flashes. You know, it just that's the biggest problem with the movie for me. I just don't care about the main character. That then that is a problem. Yeah, and I just I, if you told me a couple years ago that if there was going to be Michael Keaton back as Batman in anything, and it it didn't do well, I would have been surprised because I thought people really cared about that and wanted that. But I think the fact that it's housed inside a flash movie that no one cares about is really the problem and that movie's been through all kinds of issues to come out so um 
yeah, they really wasted Michael Keaton, I feel like. I mean, the stuff with him, I like the stuff with him, but, I, you know, and apparently it was in that Batgirl movie that they completely just killed because tax reasons yep. or something. <laughs> and I think there was even yep. like a third thing they discussed. Oh, they had, it's how they had seriously discussed doing a Batman Beyond movie with him as older Bruce Wayne, yep. which I would have loved to have seen. And that Same. got killed too. So that's disappointing. <laughs> it's like all we get Our is Our boy the- Terry McGinnis may one day get the justice he deserves. Oh, maybe one day. I just there's that'd be such man. I feel like Michael Keaton now is in the perfect place to play that version of Bruce Wayne from that show. Like I think he's actually probably a little younger than he should be, but he's like he's like I just think he would do such a good job as older Bruce Wayne. Well, yeah, I uh, I think personally being younger than the character is probably a good thing because the things that Bruce Wayne is able to do when he's at that age, I think you'd need someone younger to play older. So yeah, well, Mike, Mike Keaton true. could definitely <laughs> pull it off. Um, and yeah, other than the Flash, uh, just to just to go back to the action addicts uh, briefly, I also watched Enter the Ninja, American Ninja, and the Octagon, which are all ninja movies. Because uh, very very soon, the action addicts is going to be doing a ninja theme month, and uh, those are the first three movies that I've watched in preparation for that. So yeah, all of them. If you want to know what I thought about them, you'll have to come and listen. But in short, the ninja movies, they're fun. That's exciting. I love ninja movies. I'm on board. So uh, cool. Very cool. Um, I I mean, so do a lot of people. I don't know if you, well, you might have seen it, but don't remember it. But I put out a tweet a while ago asking people what their favorite ninja movies were. And to say that that tweet went viral would be an understatement, especially for me. And I got so many more responses than I was expecting. And I very quickly realized that, okay, so this, ninja craze that everyone keeps saying is gone it ain't gone like (laughs) everybody was recommending me the same stuff over and over and over again with with some exceptions but you know so many different people and channels and even people like had with massive followings were commenting on it and i was like okay message received i need to make this longer than i was originally planning (laughs) I will do all the ninja movies yeah. eventually. <laughs> people people love ninjas. It's not just the 90s when I feel like that that craze was like through the roof. Uh people still love ninjas. They're just cool. They're just cool. That's all there is to it. So uh exactly. that's that's exciting. Um okay, so you know have anything else to talk about, or just that was that was it? That's that- pretty much it, I'm afraid. Uh, the only other thing I did was I rewatched uh the Magnificent Seven remake um with you know uh, that that came out a few years ago i just fancied it one night still is good still good still good yeah i really like that movie it's an insanely violent pg-13 movie uh don't know how they got away with it but uh i really enjoy that movie probably honestly this may be sacrilege more than the original magnificent seven uh i don't know (laughs) that to to be honest it oh excuse me it really depends what mood i'm in but yeah I, i wouldn't say it's sacrilege i think that of all of the westerns that they've remade, and they've remade a lot of them, uh, I think that one is the most entertaining. Mm-hmm. There are still positive points in some of the other big remakes that they've done, but I think that one, the the, the general premise of seven legendary gunfighters going to save a town full of hapless, innocent people, there's just something about that that is so easily transferable that it's never going to go out of fashion. And the fact that in a time when superheroes reign supreme going back to such a simpler time as westerns and people having real stakes because not everybody makes it out alive just like the original Mm -hmm. i think that really resonated with people and it's a shame that sadly we never got 
anything more from that. I know that, you know, because so many of them died, it would have had to have been different cast, but the original did that and it worked. So I was going to say, I was yeah, they made, more, <laughs> they made more of that one and they had to replace a bunch of people. So, uh, yeah, I think that could work. I, uh, I don't think they're going to do, I don't think they're going to do it now. Cause I think, uh, a few of them are just, uh, yeah, it's, I don't know if it's going to happen, but I, yeah, I, I kind of want to rewatch that movie now that you're talking about it. So, <laughs> um, all right. Uh, well, I'll talk about stuff I've seen. I, I have I have one action movie for you that is kind of barely an action movie. Um, have you ever seen Sidekicks with Chuck Norris? <laughs> uh, yeah, a, a long time ago. I know uh, our mutual friend Rob is a a lot of our fellow mutuals on Action Twitter, especially really like that one. That's not one of his that I would uh, put on just you know if I fancy the Chuck Norris film, but it, it right. has its appeal. <laughs> <laughs> it it does. I I had never seen it before. Shock. I've seen bits and pieces of it. Uh, I think, but I never seen the whole thing. And yeah, a lot of our mutual friends really like it. I know Rob, my friend Daniel Epler saw it the first time last year and really liked it. Uh, I remember it was this year because he wrote a letterbox review that was like, "This is funny that Sidekick comes out a year before Last Action Hero," and there's a lot of parallels. And I was like, my ears perked up. I was like, "Last Action Hero, uh, hello, I'm there," because <laughs> it's one of my favorite movies of all time. And uh, Sidekick is no no Last Action Hero. It's not it's not that good, and it's a little we- it's weirder because it, you know Last Action Hero he's watching the movie and goes into the movie. This is just a kid having very vivid daydreams <laughs> about Chuck Norris that made me think this boy probably needs like mental health uh like help like he probably needs like his he's like falling asleep in class or going into such intense daydreams he's like muttering to himself and i'm like this poor boy is like traumatized he's bullied he has asthma like he's just picked on he's going into these like escapist fantasies with chuck norris and him doing cool stuff together um i mean which as a kid i could relate to like a little younger kid than him (laughs) he's like a like a teenager but uh you know, fantasize about hanging out with your favorite action heroes. But it's a very, like, I think it's PG. It's, like, a very, like, light kind of thing. It's not, it, you know, he's doing these, he's having these fantasy Chuck Norris, and it's, like, they're not really, like, killing people necessarily. I feel like it's kind of more, t- it's very uh, toned down. And it's more like an inspirational sports story, because half of it is uh, Jonathan Brandis, the main kid, training with uh, Mako, who's in many, many movies around like 80s, early 90s, and beyond, um, and him trying to get in this martial arts tournament. And then, of course, uh, spoilers for sidekicks, the real Chuck Norris happens to be at that tournament. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they, we go from there. But it's, uh, it, it, I, I, I was charmed by it, because at first I was like, this is not a very good movie. <laughs> like, it's not super well made, because it's Aaron Norris who... Um, is Chuck Norris's younger brother, is some brother, and um, yeah, I believe and... so. I believe he's the younger one. Okay, and he's not like a fantastic director, but the movie gets by on like just charm and like just kind of, I don't know. It's nice. I mean, some of the the daydreams are almost like too over the top, goofy for my liking. Like Joe Piscopo is like the main bad guy, and Joe Piscopo is playing it like up to 11 like he's like let me really play this up like i'm in a kids movie and it's weird it's like a weird mixture of tones because some of it's like so goofy kids movie that it's i don't know it's weird it's hard to describe it's all over the place but by the end the way it all comes together uh i actually end up really liking it because i was just like won over by its charm um 
and just kind of a nice light story by the end of it. And it was, you know, um, I don't love it as much as like Rob did. <laughs> I think he's like a five star movie for him. But uh, but I had a good time with it. I had a good time. So I don't know if, if you have not rewatched it recently. I'd be curious if you watched it anytime soon and what your thoughts would be. <laughs> Uh, I haven't rewatched it recently. No, I've, I almost rewatched it not that long ago because Rob was talking about it so much. And, and specifically because Rob and I did an episode on No Retreat, No Surrender, where I that same uh, sickness, I think you just said of this, you know, someone's having delusions, I think infects that main character as well, because he gets uh, trained in martial arts by the spirit of Bruce Lee so that he can fulfill his destiny <laughs> to beat up Jean-Claude Van Damme. <laughs> And I'm making that sound way better than it actually is for those who've never seen that film. I was going to say, you should make it sound amazing. So, <laughs> Yeah, I, I lost my calling as the marketing executives for those films. <laughs> they could have used you. Um, and I, I think Vinegar Syndrome put out a like 4K super deluxe edition of Sidekicks um, that I may pick up in a sale now that I've watched it. I'm like, now I kind of I kind of want to own Sidekicks. That's how much I enjoyed it. So um yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, and then okay, moving on, I watched uh, a couple William Friedkin movies because he just recently passed away. Um, yeah. And it was funny because last year I was getting into like his stuff, I think. And I was like, I think I'm a big William Friedkin guy. And then sadly this year he like passes away. And um, I still have a few I haven't seen. Uh, one I've never seen until this past week. I thought it was really good. Uh, a movie called Bug that he did. Have you ever seen Bug? <laughs> I don't believe so. It's not immediately ringing a bell. Ashley Judd and Michael Shannon. Um, and basically, uh, Ashley Judd is this kind of lonely woman uh, living, I think, in Texas or Oklahoma somewhere. Um, and her son has tragically, like her young son tragically passed away. And she's kind of like hiding out from her abusive husband, who's played by Harry Connick Jr., um, who is seems like a nice guy in real life, but is shockingly good at playing like a real scumbag. <laughs> like he's he's a real piece of shit in Bug. And she's hiding out from him. And Michael Shannon shows up and uh, she kind of like takes him in because he's kind of a he's like a veteran. It really has nowhere else to go. And I think she also kind of she kind of takes him in because she's kind of worried about her ex-husband showing up and uh she's like you could stay with me and the, the michael shannon as this veteran has um like a lot of issues like he's very paranoid and he believes that the the government did like experiments on him and uh that the bugs are basically he thinks he's like infested with bugs and they're tracking him it's this very crazy <laughs> like conspiracy theory story but it's it, they both start actually John actually start believing this like crazy delusion about these bugs and they like lock themselves in the hotel room. So it's basically I think it was a stage play that was made into a movie. So it's very much set like in this like motel room for the most part. And it's just them going crazier and crazier as the movie goes on, um, becoming more and more unhinged. And uh, both kind of like feeding off this delusion because Michael Shannon will say like, don't you see that that bug bite? And at first, actually, will be like, I don't see anything. What are you talking about? And like, it's kind of about how I think people just can people can like mentally if you just push an idea hard enough on people, they'll start believing your conspiracy theory, which has 
come up a lot in the United States in the past, like, you know, seven, eight years about like conspiracy theories infesting people's minds. And, you know, if people just push it hard enough. People start to go, there might be something to this. And uh, so I think bugs about that in a way. Um, really good performance, especially with Michael Shannon. He it's like I'm watching somebody who's like really going insane. Um, Ashley Judd's great, too. But I mean, it's just it's so crazy. By the end of it, it gets like really unhinged place um crazy climax i i really liked it i thought it was really good um and i know it's one of the movies that got like an f cinema score so audiences hated it when it came out and i can kind of see why but i thought it was i thought it was really really good yeah no I, so while you were talking i looked it up and uh, i definitely haven't seen it i mean he, he, with as soon as you said michael shannon i was like oh I'll, I might go and look it up, but no, I definitely, definitely haven't watched that. But uh, you said that you thought it might be based on a play, and not only was there a stage version, but uh, Michael Shannon played the same character in that stage version before he played oh, it in the film. That's right. I did. I'd read that and forgot. I saw the interview and like, yeah, and he. I mean, you kind of could tell because I feel like he's a. Uh, he seems like he's just so good in it. It makes sense that he'd kind of done it before in the play. So. Um... Yeah, it actually makes a lot of sense. It's it's very interesting. I <laughs> it's a very unique movie. Um, so that was really good. And then I was like, you know what? I'm gonna watch another freaking movie that I think I've seen parts of, but never seen the whole thing. Uh, a movie called Jade. Have you seen Jade? Uh, don't think so. You'll have to tell me about it again. Uh, not good. So don't don't rush out to see this one. Uh. I thought it'd be it's like an erotic air quotes thriller from the mid 90s uh, written by Joe Esterhouse, who um, stuff like Basic Instinct and Showgirls and uh, like, you know, like he's one of these guys. And and it's not very good at all. I thought it's like it's so hollow. It has like nothing going on. Everybody seems like they are. um asleep to me like in this movie it's david caruso as like an assistant da in san francisco and he investigates a murder um i think it's of the actual district attorney if i remember right that uh i can't remember points of the movie i just saw like two days ago <laughs> but he's investigating this murder and then there's a woman uh played by linda uh, fiorentino uh who he used to be like in love with uh, who's now married to Chaz Palminteri, and he's still friends with um, both of them, but he still has a thing for Linda Forentino, but she starts to become a suspect in the these murders that are going on because um, these important guys are getting knocked off, and um, the governor of California is involved. It's all, but, but it's like, it, it's just not interesting. It's not like, I don't think it's even a very sexy erotic thriller. Like, it just fails on every level the best part of the movie is when David Caruso is investigating like somebody's really nice house. Uh, and he's like, Oh, they got wine, they got pills. And he just, he goes, it's a fuck house. <laughs> it's like, it just like, delivers this line. So like, uh, sincerely, like it's a fuck house. And, uh, that made me laugh. There's a good car chase. There is a pretty good car chase, um, which freaking is good at. And this one's weird because it's like through a parade. So it's, it's not about like the speed or anything. It's more like trying to get through this crowd of people without getting killed. Um, and they're trying to, he's still trying to chase somebody. Um, but it's, it's just very 
like there's nothing to it. It's just like you don't, you don't care about anybody. I don't even care about the crime, the case that's being worked on. Um, it's just not. It's just not good. It's just not a good movie. And I don't know whose fault that is. Joe Esterhouse claims that uh, his script was better and Friedkin changed stuff in it. But I mean, it looks good. I think Friedkin directed it well. I don't know what he changed in the story, but um, yeah, just uh, just a very boring mess of a movie. <laughs> Well, it sounds like you definitely knew how to pick your movies. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I uh, I struck out on that one. I was just trying to watch Friedkin stuff. I have one more that actually did work out for me, um, which is Return of the Living Dead 3 uh, from 1992, I believe. Um, and I've never seen Return of the Living Dead 2. I've only seen one. So I skipped right over two. Um, oh, it's 93. Uh, so... Return of the Living Dead 3, I really liked. Uh, again, I think my buddy Daniel Epler uh, loves this movie and wrote some nice things about it, or says nice things about it, and uh, maybe want to watch it finally. So Return of the Living Dead 3 is directed by Brian Usna, who is wonderful with like horror effects and, and all kinds of things, and I think he's a pretty good horror director. Um, and it's basically... It's a very low budget movie, but they make the most of it. Like they really put all the money into like the effects. The effects are incredible. Um, basically about this teenage boy who's in love with his his girlfriend. They want to like run off together. Uh, but his dad works at a military base. It's like this top secret. Something's going on there. And they sneak into the military base. The guy and his girlfriend sneak in there. They see they're basically working on zombies. Basically, that's what they're like. Zombie soldiers um, is what they're working on. And some shit goes bad <laughs> at this place. Of course, some shit goes bad. And they escape. But as they're he, the, the kid's like, Dad, I'm going with my girlfriend. We're leaving town, blah, blah. As they're like leaving, they're like running away. They get in a motorcycle accident and she flies off the motorcycle and is killed. So the boyfriend distraught takes her back to the military base to revive her because now he's seen people be brought to life and he's not thinking clearly. He's like, I know what I'll do. I'll take you to the military base and bring you back. Um, gets her back there. Of course she becomes a zombie and he's the whole movie is him trying to save her basically. And uh, it's, it's very, you can tell it's very low budget, very few sets to work on. Um, but it's, very high energy, high effort. It's like with, there's a quote about like low budget does not mean low effort. And that's definitely this movie because like they just made everything count. It is gnarly. There are some gross uh, effects like there are some truly disgusting effects. Um, and I was I was very uh, into the like romance of the whole story. Like I believe them as a couple and I really was sad. It's a very sad movie. Like what happens to her? Um, and I was surprised that worked so well. So I really enjoy Return of the Living Dead 3. I thought it was actually really, really good. Good. I'm glad. Yeah. I've never seen it, so I can't right, offer so much okay. comment. <laughs> That's how I always say when someone, I'm like, oh, sounds good. I'll I'll check it out. Or like, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Um, But yeah, I'm glad I actually finally saw that one because I'm in the, I am also in like the uh, horror spooky season mode already and it's only august but i'm ready <laughs> i'm like i'm like just get me into spooky season so um watch that i think that's all i had to talk about uh, stuff i've seen lately um uh so now we can talk about mystery men a uh, movie that 
think I sent you my big random list of movies. Anyone that's been on the show has seen the random list of movies. And uh, we landed on Mystery Men. Um, and I told you before we started recording, this should be interesting because I don't know how much I have to say about Mystery Men. And it was my and it was my choice. My idea was on the list, which you were like, Matt, this was your this was on your list. And I said, I know, uh, but I hadn't watched it in at least 15 years, if not longer. Um, and I rewatched for this and I was like, oh, no, I don't know how much I had to say about Mystery Men. <laughs> so uh, we'll see how this goes. Um, I'm guessing you had seen this before. Uh, I'd asked you to be on the show, correct? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I watched <laughs> this in 1999 when it came out. Um, not in the cinema, obviously. I watched it when it came out on VHS. I had it on VHS. Uh, it got it got watched many, many times. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> um, I really enjoyed it as a kid. And uh, I don't necessarily think I enjoyed it for the same reasons I enjoy it now, even though there are some crossovers. But I like you. We were having a conversation before we started recording about daredevil and you said you know you enjoyed it back then because you were starred for superhero films and i think that that may be accurate as to one of the reasons why i enjoyed mystery men so much at the time is because it felt like a superhero film to the untrained eye but as an adult i enjoy it because it is a parody of the superhero film that existed back then is definitely not a parody of what superhero films are now and that's why I like it. It's the charm of going back to let's take the mick out of superhero films. But really, we only have Batman and Superman to take the mick out of because the rest hadn't really come out yet. Right. And I find that <laughs> absolutely hilarious. It's because it is so clearly just a Batman send up in a, in a lot of ways. It does have some serious ish moments in terms of it. It still takes itself seriously. It still has a plot that makes sense if you're going to go with it. But it very much is. Uh, hey, have you seen those Batman films? Oh, there's a lot of stuff we could take the piss out of there. Let's do that. <laughs> yes, yes. And watching it this time, I did not remember or never connected how much this feels like it's really kind of almost like doing or it's doing a send up of Joel Schumacher's Batman movies. Like, yes. Uh, it really feels like it's in the style of those. And I read somewhere that they even use some of the same sets. So I was like, oh, well, no wonder it feels familiar. <laughs> like, um, because that's yeah, you're right. They don't have much to make fun. Of. They don't have much to parody at this point. That it's like this is '99, so we're pre X Men, we're pre Raimi Spider Man. Um, they really don't have much to go off of. That's the thing about Mister Man. I found so interesting is like they were way too early. I think they were way too early doing this kind of movie because it's like it you you barely have anything to send up of superhero movies. <laughs> like you got Batman, you got Superman. Uh, it would be so interesting if they did Mystery Men post. MCU starting post Avengers, maybe even like what what would that be like? Because that's a whole different thing, you know. This movie would, I'm sure, be completely different uh, if it was made uh, 10, 15 years later. Not just for obvious reasons, like the cast would be different and this and that. Like just the way that they would send up superhero movies. Because yeah, it's weird watching it now, like, and the fact that it's like, oh, well, they're just doing like kind of a weird riff on the Schumacher Batman movies and. It's it's weird because like I parody almost seems like the the wrong word because I it doesn't feel super I don't know how it's uh, like direct or 
it's just kind of saying like what if superheroes were really silly i don't know or really lame you know and it's based off some like a dark horse comic that i've never read but i have heard of because i think uh it's it's in the flaming carrot who is yes a real character who i remember i was reading wizard uh wizard magazine a lot as a kid which is a comic books magazine um that i believe still exists and i remember the flaming carrot being in there and they sold an action figure and it's like the flaming carrot what is that and apparently mystery men are are from that but somebody at the studio was like well the flaming carrot is way too weird to put in a movie which i think would still be true to this day even like post gardens of galaxy which is kind of off the wall but i don't know if a flaming carrot uh could <laughs> could could be especially the star of a movie they cannot do a whole flaming carrot movie <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> I think that's true of a lot of, um, there's an awful lot of comic books out there that will never get film adaptations. They might get some other kind of adaptation, but they're never going to be the next big movie thing, because even if you got, even if we use Guardians of the Galaxy as the base for an, an example, they didn't necessarily translate all of their weirdness over to the big screen they very much found ways to ground them and it you know it it wasn't until the most recent guardians of the galaxy film that they were even wearing their uniforms you know they they found ways to make it work and it did work i i thoroughly enjoyed the original guardians of the galaxy but i think if you were to try and bring in some of the more ridiculous characters that exist in almost all comic books they've got them somewhere even you know Deadpool is the obvious one for Marvel, but there's so many more weird and wonderful creatures out there throughout Marvel and DC that you'd have to question, hang on, they did what? And, you know, when you've been writing and having consistent stories for 70 plus years, you're going to have some weird stuff that you can call off in your back catalog. Right. But if you're talking like, you know, you want to look at Dark Horse, you want to look at Valiant, you want to look at 2000 AD, it's like weird is kind of where they lived in certain points in time. So it, it, of course, they're going to have some crazy thing that's never going to work on screen because it, you know, they didn't write it to work for the mainstream. They wrote it for the, the outcasts and the goofballs and the weirdos that were buying their books, right, to put right. it nicely. <laughs> yeah. And they probably never thought they were going to get movie adaptations because uh, they were probably thinking, like, they can never pull this off because they probably didn't know what they could do in the future with like, visual effects. If, I mean, you're probably thinking that far ahead. You're in the 60s writing crazy stuff. You're not thinking like, yeah, one day they'll put this in a movie. It's so so insane. Um, and now we can do whatever with visual effects. So, um, yeah, I mean, but you're probably right. They just were not thinking like that. So, uh, yeah, Mystery Men, I'm, I'm like you. I was so starved for superhero content in 99 that I remember being very excited for Mystery Men when it was coming out because I was like, oh, my God, new superheroes in a big movie. Yay. Like, because um, I also kind of always liked uh i don't want to like misfit comic book characters or like b-level type superheroes i was always like as a kid i always wanted to, more about like those people that, <laughs> people that might have been like the avengers but they were like second string like black knight and uh oh my god there's so many like there's just so many of these people they're not the captain america it's not the thor it's not the iron man like the the second kind of level down um kind of heroes so mystery man's just all the these are like d-level heroes at that and uh so i i like them because i like kind of goofball heroes and uh 
I remember being really excited for it. Saw in the theater. Really, really liked it, if I remember right. Watched it on TV a bunch. Um, but hadn't seen it, again, in a very long time. And was thinking this time, I was like, oh, wow, most of my memory of this movie probably is in like the very last 30 to 45 minutes when they attack uh, Casanova Frankenstein's uh, lair, comp, whatever you want to call it, castle. Because uh, I found I <laughs> I found a lot of the movie like before that, like in, especially in the middle, kind of like dull and kind of plotting. And I was like, I, it, it just kind of I was like, oh, right. There's probably a reason I remember most of the back section which is where most of the stuff happens in the movie because it's a lot of build up to that point um like you'll probably enjoy that because it's more like them just kind of hanging out and you know making their costumes and doing stuff but i i don't know i this time i was like wow this is not um hitting for me for most of this time i thought it was it was like too long i thought two hours was way too long um but they're just trying to do, they're just trying to do so much in this movie. They probably need two hours. But that this kind of this time, that was one thing specifically that I just was like, wow, this is really plodding along. And I'm like, can we just get to the finale of this movie? Yeah, I I always forget that Mystery Men is two hours long because, you know, when you watch older films, you I just naturally assume, especially as it's a superhero film that it's going to be an hour and a half because everything was pretty much an hour and a half. Like it's not like today where two hours is like, yes, it's a short film. You know, <laughs> two hours used to be the, the, Oh my God, it's how long. Um, But this one, it's interesting because I feel like I definitely enjoyed the film more than you did. Cause first of all, unlike you, I, I had rewatched it a lot more recently than 15 years ago. Um, I actually rewatched it maybe a year or two ago uh with my ex at the time and we found ourselves enjoying it more than i thought we might because i really wasn't sure if it was going to stand up to the test of time and i think the reason why i enjoy it is aside from just the absurdity of the entire thing but you did just kind of say it it is a story of a bunch of misfits they are the people that shouldn't be saving the day but through their own ineptitude, they now have to. Otherwise, everybody's not going to make it to tomorrow. And that's the sort of story that I really enjoy. And unlike, unlike say, Guardians of the Galaxy, which is the most obvious thing I can compare the idea to, these people actually are misfits and idiots. Like, they are completely out of their depth. They are <laughs> the worst people that you could possibly need to be relying upon to actually save the day. The vast majority of our super team are not actually people with any skill or power or ability. And, you know, you can compare that to something like Guardians of the Galaxy or a lot of contemporary films of its type. Nine times out of ten, the misfits, especially once they've been Hollywoodified, are usually good looking, very attractive, very fit people anyway. They're just grumpy and don't like talking to each other or, you know, they need to take their glasses off and suddenly they're beautiful. And this film doesn't do that. It doesn't suddenly make them amazing or it doesn't suddenly reveal that actually there was something hidden underneath. They do do that with one character, which, uh, you know, he gets his moment, but it works in the case of the story. Everybody else, it's just a case of you've either got to learn to work together or you've got to stop being an idiot and actually, you know, commit to some training. And they do get a little bit of a training montage, which helps. But 
it doesn't suddenly transform them and make them overpowered. They are still idiots. And if it wasn't for the fact that they live in Champion City, uh, which I really want to talk about that at some point, because I'm I really like the oh fuck it, I'll talk about it now. I really like <laughs> I was gonna say go ahead now if you want. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I really like the design of Champion City because again. So much of this film feels like it's pre-MCU superhero stuff. This feels like a comic book film in a way that a lot of films... Well, I wouldn't even say it's the MCU's fault, actually. In a way that a lot of films made after the Christopher Nolan Batman films refuse to do. Um, it embraces the insanity that you're basing your work on a comic book. The city does not look realistic in any way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. It is massive. It is huge. It is covered in corporate advertisements and everything about it sort of screams Gotham. But at the same time, if you actually look at a lot of the signs, they're in um, an Asian type language, like with kanjis on a lot of the signs. And it's almost like a Neo-Tokyo vibe, but it's quite clearly based on that same Gothic ar architecture style that the Gotham city is well known for, especially when we see like the asylum, for example, where our main villain escapes from and then consequently blows up. But any of the shots that we get to see Champion City just makes it feel like we're in a completely different world than the real world. And the fact that it's littered with all these D-tier hero wannabe types just helps reinforce that. I mean, it's so normal for people to have a genuine superhero in Captain Amazing, but everybody else just sort of gets laughed at. And Amazing himself, uh, uh, we'll, I'll talk about later, but the fact that they... The fact that they are so earnest with their superhero um, origins in terms of they know that they are writing a comic book movie. They don't try and make the city realistic. They don't try and ground it. It's not, you know, they don't try and make Gotham City just quite clearly New York or Chicago or whatever it might be. This feels like it's a complete fantasy. And that's the reasons why I think it works. It also doesn't hurt that it is a stacked cast, in my opinion. And, you know... I'd totally forgotten that Spleen was played by Paul Rubens, who sadly obviously passed away not that long ago. And he's doing a fantastic Sid the Sloth impression before Sid the Sloth <laughs> was even a thing, I'm pretty sure. Yes, yeah. And like, you know, Ben Stiller, William H. Macy, Hank Azaria, Jeffrey Rush. Um, there's so many people in this that when I rewatch it every time, I'm like, oh, yeah, you're in this. And yeah, Jeffrey Rush in particular is just hamming it up as the villain. Like he's having the time of his life. And Eddie Izzard is Tony P, the freaking king of disco. He, I mean, come on, who writes this stuff, man? This is gold. <laughs> you don't get villains like this anymore. It's like disco's not dead, man. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. You're probably gonna turn around this movie really quickly because yeah, everything you're saying, I'm like, yes, I agree, agree. You made a great point about how yeah, the city does not look realistic at all. Again, reminding me of the schumacher batman movies that but an opening shot where they do the flyover of the city and i'm like oh my god is this shot like right out of the schumacher batman and then even the opening where that group like the red goggles or the red specks or whatever they call, like comes the in the red eye thank you yes the red they are they literally in, called the red eye <laughs> the red eye <laughs> when they bust into that room i'm like this feels exactly like it could have come out of uh the batman forever batman and robin um, I feel like there's, it feels kind of like Batman 66, which of course I think Schumacher took a lot of influence from, um, 
I was like that this just it's it's like so clearly that and yeah the cast you're it's unbelievably stacked like everybody that pops up is somebody even down to those little cameos when cast over Frankenstein Jeffrey Rush is going around saying that we've got the frat boys here and it's fucking Michael Bay <laughs> sitting there yeah like um I know there's that rap group where I recognize a couple of those guys now I can't think of their names like um I mean it's it, it's just so many people in this movie like it's just like everywhere you look is is somebody and it's like it's William H Macy and and um Greg Kinnear and Jeffrey Rush who pretty sure all like Oscar nominees at some point or, you know like or Oscar winners even like um and it's just wild they got them all together for this very weird uh superhero movie <laughs> so um you're right about that it's just I mean it is so absurd I have to appreciate that it's so unique it is so unique and unlike anything like like i can't believe they made this movie like i don't know what the budget was but uh i it looks like they spent a lot of money um i'm pretty oh. sure because mm -hmm. i i saw a thing about it uh earlier that it so it was around about 60 to 70 million and there's there's a very specific reason why i know that <laughs> well now i'm curious what that reason is <laughs> Oh yeah, so the the budget was sixty eight million, and the reason why I know that is because its worldwide total gross was thirty three million. Oh, oh, I'm looking at it now. Oh my god, that's I thought it did better than that. Oh my god. <laughs> oh. No, it it oh. um it it was reviewed very favorably. Surprisingly, like like the critics liked it, but general audiences didn't. And I I remember that being the case. I remember my dad. And pretty much everybody else I knew, apart from a couple of friends, really didn't see why I enjoyed this film uh, at all, to be blunt. I mean, I, I also think that having one of your main superheroes character be the power of flatulence is not only one of the most <laughs> 90s things you could do, but it's a pretty surefire way to guarantee that any kind of clever writing comedy sequences and nuance that you could have most adults are going to write it off and just go oh there's a character that farts a lot it's a kid's movie we don't need right. to pay attention to this <laughs> so i was thinking oh god i thought the critics must have hated it because i just just based off a character that farts as his power i was like oh they're not gonna like that um because that's just so the silly toilet humor but um but i think actually i think they make it pretty funny in the movie like it could be even more it, it's fairly juvenile because it's just a guy farting but like did they play it up pretty well? Honestly, I thought it, I thought it worked. Probably got a credit yeah. to Paul Rubens, as you mentioned. Yeah, that was weird timing because we talked this for so long, and then we're gonna do it, and then Paul Rubens passes away, and I was like, oh, he's in, he's a mystery man, he's a spleen. And uh, I meant to actually finally watch Pee Wee's Big Adventure before this because I feel like it's one of those movies everyone has seen but me. Um, but I still didn't get a chance to do it. But um. Yeah, Paul Rubens, yeah, the Sidlisloff thing is great, because I didn't even think about that, but you are 100% right. He just sounds like, exactly, and that's that voice before that's even a thing. Um, but he makes it work. I, I do feel like, because the cast is so talented, that they actually make all these ridiculous characters like work and feel like they are actual people. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that they actually have lives outside of uh, of of this. Like, they're actual real characters. Um uh, I mean, all the stuff with Hank Azaria and his mom is <laughs> Blue Raja. Uh, and the stuff with William H. Macy and his family is great. For some reason, it always cracks me up when he's talking to his wife near the beginning and she just like puts her two like 
hands like the hands on her face but like they have big kitchen gloves and it's like a it's just such a yeah. little visual gag that just makes me laugh where she these big old gloves on his face and um so they have like lives and backstories and one thing i one thing i can complain about is that uh, because i feel like they thought ben stiller didn't have anything going on so i feel like they kind of shoehorn in the claire Ferlani stuff for him because i feel like yeah there it just comes out of nowhere i mean i know she's like a waitress that pops up a couple times in the early part of the movie but it doesn't she feels like such a background character and then she has no like characterization at all she just shows up to kind of be into him and then get kidnapped immediately like they the bad guys just know <laughs> like they've been following him and they just and he takes her hostage i'm like oh she was just here to be a hostage and give ben stiller something because i guess he didn't have like a a family backstory like a couple of the other characters i don't know but that part i thought wow they really shoe- shoehorned in the in, a, in already a very long and very full movie they stuff in the clear for Lonnie stuff and i'm like i don't know if he needed that <laughs> no to be honest you're i i 100 agree with you i actually really like claire Falani in general like whenever she plays this type of character it works but I think it would have worked so much better if they didn't they did they didn't need to add anything else. I think it just needed to her final scene needed to be the one where she tells him to just be Roy. And instead of that giving him a freaking complex and he just falls apart, that should have been the thing that fixed him. And I think that mm-hmm. that would have worked a lot better if instead of it being, oh, she's gonna be the damsel in distress and he's gonna have to you know, overcome his issues to save her, which I don't blame the film for. That was pretty much the formula of any superhero films. There must be a damsel to rescue. Even if your team features a really badass female character, there will still be another woman to rescue. It's like, it's a superhero film. Of course, they're going to do that. But (laughs) Mm -hmm. I feel like it could work so much more and be more impactful if she had just been a waitress that doesn't really like him for the most part of the film. And she doesn't. But when she sees him alone, she takes pity on him. She has a chat with him. And, you know, that act of human kindness doesn't even have to lead to to anything romantic. But just that moment of someone actually being vulnerable with him and pushes him in the right direction of actually, you know what, maybe you're a bit too much and this whole persona you built for yourself doesn't really work. Maybe you should just try being Roy. I think that would have worked fine. And I think it could have still had the exact same effect that her being a damsel had and maybe it would be i don't know if it would be better but i think it might have made it stand out a bit more rather than like you said she's just damsel in distress number nine and suddenly changes <laughs> into something that you know she she spends the whole film wearing a waitress outfit and then suddenly comes out wearing this like asian influenced dress and it's like oh you're definitely getting kidnapped in a minute like there's right. there's <laughs> why are you wearing that like come on we all know what's going to happen next <laughs> They suddenly changed your costume and you got something big coming up. Yeah, it's like it's something against Claire Ferlani. She's just not giving giving much to do. But she does. I like the moment where she's like, just be Roy. But yeah, you're right. I kind of wish that was it. And yeah, nothing against Claire Ferlani. She's uh, I mean, she was in The Rock. She's Jade Angelou, as it's like you and I talked about a lot. I feel like we're doing we did The Rock on his show. We're just doing a lot of Connor Pressure. I feel like I can't we did it. I I was thinking about like the whole like Jade Angelou, which I just like saying in the Connery voice, uh, her character in The Rock, but um, it's not it's it's not her fault. It's just like, you know, there's not much there for her to work with. And, um, you know, it is what it is. And uh, and I was thinking this, too. I feel like the movie 
because uh, my fa- I'll ask you your favorite in a second. My favorite kind of character amongst the team is Jean Garofalo as the bowler. Because I actually feel like she gives the movie like a spark when she comes in and joins the team. Like they do the whole uh, tryout thing and then she shows up and I just really like her in the movie and the whole relationship with her and her dad as the bowling ball, his skull in a bowling ball, which is such a crazy, crazy idea. But I really, really like it. Um, I feel like she really I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I just really like her in the movie and she brings something, I think, when she shows up. And um, I was like, oh, you're definitely my favorite of the group this time. But I don't know who is who's your favorite of the of the team. Uh, well, before I answer that, I just want to yeah. say her character is easily one of the best components. Like it, she was needed, mm-hmm. like not not just for the chemistry that she added, but she's what makes all the rest of the characters wake up. And she is basically the only one of them for most of the film that actually has the power. That bowling ball is magic or psychic, however you want to look at it. Mm-hmm. It can do stuff that breaks the laws of physics. So it's definitely she is someone that actually has an ability which is a massive boost for the team of people that are mostly just full of idiots. Um, (laughs) The fact that she also, you know, she argues with Roy perfectly. She kind of gives them that different energy, but she also has some of the best lines in in the entire film, like some of the angry stuff that she says. Um, And I had one in my head and now it's freaking gone because I'm trying to think about too many things at once. But yeah, she, she just has some great one liners throughout the film and, I agree with you that she I think she used to be my favorite character. I always I always had a soft spot for Blue Raja just because Hank Azaria. I love his ridiculous accent that he does and the whole get up. But I can definitely see some people having a slight bit of a problem with that character these days. But yeah, it's nothing that Hank's not familiar with. So anyway, moving on. My favorite (laughs) character is probably William H. Macy's The Shoveler. And mm-hmm. aside from the fact that he actually is a sturdy member of the team that actually has some really decent fight scenes uh, in the, especially at the end of the film, he also is quietly one of the funnier members, but he is the straight face one that can get away with saying things absolutely deadpan and it being hilarious. And I realized as I was watching it this time, you actually sort of opened it, the door for me to say this, but he's the Adam West. He's saying everything with an absolute dead straight face. But what he's saying is utterly ridiculous. And that is 100% his role in this film. Like he has he has one of my best uh, moments in the entire film, which is when um, spoiler alert, after they kill Captain Amazing, we'll get to amazing. uh, (laughs) They they all start panicking and they're like, we killed him. And he's just sat on the other side of the room, calm as anything. And he's like, what do you mean we? I was sat right here. And he's not even trying to be funny. That's what makes it work. And it's just such a perfect moment because then your favorite character goes up to the dead body and is like, I'm going to check his pulse. And then his arm falls off. He's dead. Like those two, to me, just stole all of the comedy. Like they were perfect. Yeah, they <laughs> <laughs> I I have a sucker for a joke when someone's like clearly already very dead and someone's like let me check it's like no they're dead <laughs> like they're definitely dead um that is a good moment and he's doing he's also doing funny stuff during that scene with Captain Amazing in the chair because he's got like two little I don't know what they like washers or something he's holding up to like Greg Kinnear's face like he's trying to look like him with glasses because he's he yeah. buys into the whole that's a really funny joke about uh Greg Kinnear's Captain Amazing where William H Macy is like well uh what's his name uh what's his what's his like lance yeah he's like 
Lance wears glasses. Captain Amazing doesn't. It's like maybe he takes them off. He's like, well, how could he see? <laughs> it's just yeah, exactly. Delivery. He is. He yeah. is such a naive character at the beginning, and he still is by the end. But he kind of grows into basically being the team leader, which he should have always been. Instead of looking at Roy as sort of being the leader, right? And the fact that it takes him so long to get there, he's genuinely a character that actually develops throughout the film. But again, you know, there there are other scenes where other characters get to say funny things, like when they all basically get off cutting remarks at the Disco Boys before they beat the crap out of them and send them packing. But again, it's the fact that he says everything so earnestly, like you said, you know, he he genuinely believes that there's no way that uh, Amazing and Lance can be the same person because, well, he wears glasses and uh, Captain Amazing doesn't. It's like, what? (laughs) you, You know, Amazing is... This is a good time to mention Amazing, to be honest. Um, yeah, yeah. He is Batman and Superman rolled into one. And he is the, you know, he's the only superhero that the city needs. He has single-handedly defeated every supervillain. And he's made the city so safe that he actually has nothing to do. And he's kind <laughs> of like old news. What I find so interesting about Amazing is, to me, they were dead spot on with the characterization of what they did with him, and especially what has become so popular now, which is basically, he isn't this, but it's quite popular to just go, what if he was Superman, but evil? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> like, you know, there's so many of them now that are just basically evil Superman. But Captain Amazing basically had the whole uh, corporate-sponsored superhero like analogy down before anybody else really kind of did it. Um, you know, he's when he first shows up, he has that massive entrance. He's so overpowered that he just wipes the whole room in mm-hmm. seconds. And then when you finally see his suit, it is littered in product placement. Yeah. He is covered in sponsorship symbols and brands. And when his manager comes in, he gives him a towel like he's an athlete, not like he's a superhero. He has a press conference. He doesn't give a shit about the people he's saving. And he goes off in a limo and complains that it wasn't enough news. And he literally creates all of the problems in this films because he's the one that got Casanova, the supervillain, out of prison because he wanted basically to have someone to fight against again because there wasn't anything left to do other than just walk around and smile. And right. I thought that the <laughs> even though it's not a particularly, you know, it's not a it's not a it's not a well thought out critique of superheroes or by any stretch of the imagination, but for what they did in what is essentially a comedy, I really like how close to the mark I think they got with how the world has ended up going with that character. Um, for for the worse, I will quite happily say, like I'm annoyed that he ended up being the most realistic aspect of this film, but he is. Let's be honest. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's not it's no Watchmen or anything. It's not like it's it's not like critiquing heroes to that level, but it's uh very funny. Him with the sponsorships, like he's like a race car driver is hilarious to me. Like uh, the whole idea of he's just done too good a job, basically, and has locked everyone up or everyone is dead. So he has no one left to fight. Um, and I don't know about have, do you watch the boys? Uh, yes. OK, I was really yeah. thinking of I'm the boys. Up. Yeah, this it's Yeah, he's like, I guess a he's not quite as evil as Homelander, I guess, uh, because he's not no. outright slaughtering people, but he's not, 
he's very apathetic, you know, and then he's like, he is creating his own problems by going to get people released, like Hesso Frankenstein, but he's not as evil as Homer, but I was, because there's a lot of stuff about sponsorship and the boys where it's like bought industries and how, how much of a business being a superhero has become and how much they don't care about like release. They go smile for the cameras, but they don't say, I'm like, this is way ahead of its time with that. Um, that's why I think the boys is so successful now. I mean, it's a very good show, but I think the fact that it's come in the wake of like many, many years of superhero movies really helps, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and, but mystery man, this whole idea was so ahead of the time. Nothing like this was going on. Um, but I was thinking of that a lot. It's it, Greg Kinnear plays it very smug and stormy, which is great. Um, I think it's the tone. You don't want to be too dark. This movie doesn't need him to be like killing innocent people. You know, that, that, that he's the right level of, of evil, I think. And uh, just so full yeah, of himself. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't even categorize him as evil. It's indifference. Like he's been yes. doing this so long. It's just a job. And, mm -hmm. you know, the fact that they... You know, they show him like advertising toothpaste on the television at one point in the film, and he gets more upset that he's apparently lost a sponsorship from Pepsi than anything else that happens in the film, including, you know, when Casanova Frankenstein, which is a great name for a supervillain, by the way, yeah. um, when <laughs> he blows up the asylum that he's been released from, Amazing doesn't care. If anything, he's thrilled because it gives him an excuse to go in, kick the door down, and immediately start being a superhero again. Mm -hmm. It kind of almost is like a reverse mega mind in that in that regard. <laughs> he's like, "Yes, the supervillain's back! Thank God, I'm so bored." And that whole that whole scene where he goes in and him and Casanova have that dialogue between each other. I love it. I love it so much because a it's come after all the disco stuff which is absolutely hysterical. And I love the fact that the BGs just gets played over and over again throughout this entire film. Whenever mm. they do anything to do with disco, that just makes me chuckle on a personal level. But when amazing comes in, you get this great moment of one of the oldest jokes in the book about whether or not a character, you know, how many times can we say, ah, but did you know that I knew that you knew that I knew that you would know that I would know, therefore, yeah. you know, and, <laughs> and that never fails to make me laugh. But the fact that we then get Lance, proving he's not completely an idiot by making Casanova disarm all his traps, but he knows exactly what they are. And they're so complicated. I don't know how many takes that must have taken, but everything <laughs> sounds like, you know, complete tech jargon that you just know came out of a comic book. And I absolutely love that he still gets caught because Casanova knows him so well as Lance knows him that mm -hmm. he would know full well if he put something that looked like a button that he should press, he was going to press the button. Didn't need all of those fancy traps that he made him disarm. He just needed him to push a button on what looks like a radio and he gets knocked out. And I just thought all of that scene was gold and I wish they'd interacted more because, yeah, those two just played off of each other exactly like you'd expect a superhero and his nemesis or nemeses to do. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a great joke too. It's like, what's the plural of yep. Genesis? Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. There's a lot of little things like that. I, I well, I wish they had more screen time. You're right, together. And like, speaking of screen time, I was I was thinking about Greg Kinnear because he gets captured, and I feel like they don't cut back to him for like 40 minutes of the movie, almost the point where you almost forget that he's tied up in Castle Frankenstein's house because they talk about him a little bit. But I don't. It's weird to me they don't cut back and show him like even interacting with like a henchman or more Castle Frankenstein. Like I don't need a lot. I need like maybe one quick scene. I don't think they cut back at all 
um, for a Not very, a very, very long time until the mystery men show up and then, uh, funny enough, murder the actual, like, the, the hero of the movie. <laughs> like, uh, which, I mean, is such a, uh, I, I kind of inspired thing to do. It's, it's just like like what a t- they're the ones that basically they they put it on themselves to actually have to be the ones that go stop us out because they killed the hero the bad guy didn't even do it they did it by accident the whole thing about uh that's a funny little gag too about like what switches to pull it's like well how many toggle switches are we doing are we doing like he's like seven it's like oh well okay now i'm confused <laughs> like all the back and forth about switching this and that um and then they end up killing him. So they're like, well, now we have to stop the bad guy because we killed Captain Amazing. Um, yeah, I and I've got to say that, that that death scene is horrific. It really is for a PG-13 uh, movie. Um, it is pretty horrific what they how he is killed. This machine seems uh, terrible that he's he's been under. Um, but yeah, the uh, the nemesis thing. Never mind. There's a it's a funny thing to me because it's a comedy where I don't find myself like cracking up that much but there's a good amount of like little uh, things i chuckle at and like the nemesis 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 joke is funny there's a funny joke where ben stiller's in the diner with william h macy and hank azaria and he's talking about like their names i think and he's like and there's just a thing ben stiller says to hank azaria like you're blue raja can you get a little blue in the costume like it's just it's like i was thinking the same thing i was like he's doesn't have any blue in his costume um gene Garofalo talking to her dad's head in the bowling ball and saying like um she's like okay you got your revenge now here's the deal i'm going to college or something <laughs> like yeah she these, was like, like yeah yeah she's like oh okay i'm going back to grad school now that's that was our deal like that was, that was such deal. a great line <laughs> like and then the whole joke of kel mitchell is the invisible boy and the whole i love the concept of someone who's who claims they can be invisible but only when no one is watching <laughs> it's like that is yeah. a really that's a pretty great joke and it actually the fact that it actually sorry, pays off I, yeah. I just want to interrupt you so because i've remembered what the line her line oh. was i was trying to think because it's one that it's one that doesn't hit you unless you really like you have to be paying attention i find because i think the delivery sometimes is so deadpan you miss that it's funny but i absolutely love when she was talking about what happened to her dad and they were like oh he died and she was like yeah it was under suspicious circumstances oh what happened well, you know, he fell into an elevator shaft and landed on some bullets. And then you've got Blue Raja going, you know, I always suspected that might be foul play. Really? <laughs> <laughs> but, but again, it's, it, it, yeah. you, you'll miss it. If, you, if you're not paying your full attention, you'll miss what she said. Because I think I did the last time I rewatched it. I missed that, you know, he landed on some bullets, which is such a great line. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's and that's so much of the movie is so like straight face deadpan comedy that I think some of the funny stuff can go right over my head if I'm not paying too much attention, you know, Um, because that's that's because I think people. You know, yeah, there's fart jokes with the spleen, but so much of it is like this, like just kind of deadpan comedy that is so subtle. Sometimes it might you might miss it. Um, But I, I appreciate that. I do like that in the movie. It's just it's just. uh, um, Yeah, sorry, I, I lost my train of thought. Um. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. Was well, I'm looking at my notes here. One thing I want to ask you about. I think one of the problems with the movie is that it's the director, Kinka Usher, who only directed one movie. That's it. They directed this movie. He did nothing else. Um, like, I think it looks good. 
he was a commercial director. Apparently that was like his claim to fame was he made a lot of commercials. Um, okay. And I think you can really see that, especially in the kind of chase scene that ends under the bridge. That's very like, I don't know, green lit that whole, and they kind of attack the limo. Um, that feels like it has a look of a car commercial to me. And if I'm looking now, he did a lot of car commercials like Nissan and stuff like that. Um, Apparently, I read a story that on the set, he like didn't have great control of the set and said something like, I can't wait to go back to making my little car commercials or something <laughs> like he, he sounded very frustrated. I, I think he may have been overwhelmed by the size of the project. Like the fact they gave a first time director of any kind of feature 70, 60 million dollars and this huge cast is kind of insane. And I, I think he kind of has trouble putting it all together like he makes it look good but i think he has trouble putting the whole movie together i think that kind of gets away from him yeah i, th- I think that's a fair complaint <laughs> let me say that again yeah i think that's a fair complaint um i don't think everything works and like you say whether it's the director whether it's how it was edited or whether it came from the script i think some of it as well is that some of the comedy that isn't the subtle wordplay uh was probably improv, you know, especially the Ben Stiller stuff. I can oh, ima- yeah. I, I can imagine that a lot of that came from just those guys, you know, acting out against each other. And some of it works and some of it doesn't. That scene in particular that you mentioned where they're attacking the limo, it, it works for me visually, but like you say, maybe not thematically. But I also have to laugh because considering that they live in this gigantic city that is like, massive it's amazing how there's only ever one or two cars on the road and it's usually the ones being driven by the main characters that's a good point that is a good point <laughs> i haven't thought about that um yeah nobody's around uh just nobody around ever <laughs> ever in this huge <laughs> huge city um that's a good the point sprawling yeah. metropolis i guess has <laughs> solved public transport i don't know but yeah there's there isn't a single scene in this film where there's other cars unless it's being driven by like one of the characters it's oh my God. it's kind of weird yeah. <laughs> i'm really thinking about it now and you i think you're right that yeah that's uh yeah that's that is that is funny i mean it's like some of it most of it's so clearly set based and i go back to your point earlier uh, you know the nolan batman movies someone's made this point recently if you watch Batman Begins and that version of Gotham is so set based and then you go to Dark Knight, which I love the way that movie looks and it, it's very well shot, but it's so clearly Chicago. Like they they, they yeah. make no effort to <laughs> to make that look like any kind of comic book city. It's just Chicago as Gotham. And I do feel like a lot of superhero movies now have tried to do the whole like we're in a real city thing. Like Avengers is just in New York, which I mean, the Avengers are based in New York. So that's fine. But it's like they I do kind of miss the let's go to a fantastical comic book city, you know, where it doesn't really look like the real world necessarily, um, which this definitely doesn't in Mystery Men, which but I, I can appreciate that because that's different than what we're getting nowadays for sure, which is one of the things I love about the Schumacher Batman sound too. I can appreciate it's like, yeah, they're so clearly it's so clearly not a real city, but it looks really, really good. Like it just, it looks so cool to me. Um, I have a lot of other problems with those movies, but the way they look is not one of them. Yeah. A hundred percent. And it's the same, to be honest, I can say the same things about the action sequences in this film, because there is a lot of it. There's a lot of gunfights. There's a lot of hand to hand fights. And 
whilst they're not going to blow you away, you know, if you're looking for a big, massive martial arts spectacular. But considering this is first and foremost sort of a comedy, uh, I think they do a really good job. Like, especially anyone that's not Ben Stiller comes off really well in in those fight scenes. And that's <laughs> not that's not a complaint against Ben Stiller. When he does have some, it, it's done very well. But his character is is very much played for laughs in pretty much all of the fight scenes until the very end. Um, the shoveler gets to do some pretty good stuff. Hank Azaria gets to throw his forks. And after the training sequence, you know, he's very deadly with it. They have a huge set piece where they drive this massive armored car into the side of a gigantic manor. And it's like, you don't get, you wouldn't get a, a weird comedy type action film and again i'm only using the word action very loosely but you wouldn't get this today i don't think there's so much money being put into this film with this massive cast and then you have these huge set pieces and what were at the time pretty good effects obviously they the cgi hasn't aged particularly well but yeah. the green screens <laughs> have, have aged great the explosions have aged great the weird and wonderful devices that of a character we haven't even mentioned the doctor that invents these lovely non-lethal weapons um he you know all of his stuff i think the effects have aged really really well and it i think part of that is because it was shot on film and it's not digital and part of that is because i think everybody making it cared even if like you say maybe the director was very much looking forward to for it to end but i think everybody <laughs> involved gave as much as they could i mean jeffrey rush gives a fantastic performance as the villain there isn't a single actor i can point to and go oh he's not really getting into it like everybody else like everybody is just committing to it and that you don't get that now if they if they you said you know what would it be like if they made it now i i'm pretty sure the answer is it would be they would constantly be putting themselves down like they would have a moment and then they would go did that just happen <laughs> oh, well, that just happened. And, you know, it would be that sort of stupid, self-irreverent comedy where nothing can be serious. They'd constantly be taking the piss out of how stupid it is. And I think the reason why it works for me as a comedy and as a parody is it is stupid and it is ridiculous, but the characters take it seriously. And that's the bit that works. That's That's a fantastic point. Yes, I was thinking that there's a level of like, sincerity even though if like they're loser kind of superheroes that they yeah there's not like that winking necessarily i mean i think everyone involved knows it's kind of silly and yeah but there's a like william h macy's uh speech near kind of before they go attack the the castle frankenstein compound it's a pretty nice little speech like inspirational speech rah rah for the team and it helps yeah. William H. Macy delivering it. Yeah, but he's he has been the most earnest of all the characters, I would say. Like we talked about earlier, like he's like the straight man type guy, but he gives a good little speech. And I feel like they they're like, which is one of the reasons I think like Guardians of the Galaxy works too. It's like, yes, they're misfits, but like they there's like a, there's a sincerity there and a heart there. Uh, you know, as I, I think they could do like a little better job maybe exploring the heart of the whole thing in Mystery Man, but I think it works pretty well. And the fact that everyone is Everyone does seem talented. I can't really point to anybody who I'm like, oh, they're the weak link. You know what I mean? Like, they're, I can't think of anyone who's like, they're the weak link in this movie because everyone's like kind of on the right wavelength, it seems like, of what they're doing. Um, I'm glad you find them. You mentioned Tom Waits because I feel like I went this whole podcast and you mentioned Tom Waits, who's the guy that I, I love seeing pop up movies and I like his music too. And he's like the perfect pick of a, 
uh, eccentric weapons builder. <laughs> like, uh, he's great. I mean, just like, it's just like this weirdo thing that everyone seems to buy into. Uh, and it just works because, yeah, they don't have that thing that happened so much in the past, like, I don't know, 10 plus years of kind of the winking at the camera type <laughs> type thing. So, um, yeah, that is nice about it. I you, you are making me like the movie more than I did on this last rewatch. It's already and I'm already being turned around on it. That's good. <laughs> I mean, there are definitely some scenes that you would not get if it was remade. And one one such scene it involves one of the weapons that your your friend makes, and that is the shrink uh, weapon. Oh, yes. I thought about this when <laughs> like <laughs> uh, Ben Stiller has that line about like my pants are shrinking too or something because it shrinks the way yeah. it doesn't shrink them physically. It just shrinks the women's clothes on their bodies. And it's like a I'm like that gag would not have made it now. And, uh, I, you know, I don't even, it's not that funny an idea honestly to, to leave in. And the Ben Stiller joke is like, oh, but, uh, you know, now, to be honest. Yeah. Do you know what's funny is that whole scene makes no sense and it's not funny. And, right. and <laughs> I could I could go with it if the joke was, you know, these women are, you know, they're they're all laying there. They're all looking very sexy. They're all looking very alluring. They're trying to, you know, get them, entice them. And then they all stand up and they're actually kick ass martial artists. They've all got weapons. And previously they all had guns, but the guns. The gun situation is actually sold very cleverly in the film, which is that they have this giant magnet on their armored car. So everybody gets disarmed by their guns, which explains how these misfits even stand a chance because all (laughs) they actually have to do is win fights in hand to hand and that they might actually be able to do. It's still difficult, but it's gone from impossible to achievable. And this all female gang are the first ones that they have to get through. And they look like total badasses. And then they get taken out by this ray that just sort of makes their clothes shrink-ish, but they don't <laughs> actually explain why or yeah. how. But it also doesn't really explain why that just takes them all out. Like they just lay there like they're in immense pain. It makes no sense whatsoever. It's, that's like a scene then, like Austin Powers or something. Sorry to cut you off. I'm so sorry. <laughs> like I just no no no. Because see, if it was an yeah. Austin Powers, they'd commit with the with the joke and go all the way. But Mystery Men doesn't, and that's what doesn't work for me. It's like that Ben Stiller joke just makes you go, ah, oh. you know. Instead <laughs> of going, oh my god, this is so stupid, but it's making me laugh. You're just like, what? And <laughs> it, the the next group of gangsters get taken out by the um blame thrower which i absolutely love as a weapon which basically you know you get hit by it and suddenly all of your like insecurities and anxieties and anger comes out and you start blaming people for things that you probably don't even really care about because it happens to the spleen and the bowler earlier in the film which is another great sequence but that makes a lot more sense and could actually be useful and viable than just oh no my clothes have shrunk i've been taken out of the fight you know Right. Yes, I, I agree. It's yeah, it's it doesn't uh, the blame thrower is great. The shrink ray, like I feel like they, I, they were going for a funny idea that didn't quite pan out in the way they executed it. So, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's like luckily I was watching this too, thinking like, well, I'm glad so much of this actually aged well. And, and it's not like uh, if you watch a comedy from the 90s, sometimes sometimes there's a lot of jokes where you're like, oof. But I thought this aged pretty well honestly they didn't put too much stuff in there where you're like oh boy that wouldn't that wouldn't fly today <laughs> so that was that's always a relief i think when you're like okay this this turned out pretty well um 
but yeah, some yeah, stuff doesn't no, work. I agree. Yeah, they throw a lot of stuff. I mean, there's they throw a lot of stuff in the movie. It is it is a it is fully packed with uh all kinds of there's so many people in the movie. They try to put a lot of jokes in. They try to just there's a lot happening in Mystery Men, which I guess again why I guess need to be two hours. I wish it was shorter, but um there's just so much going on in this movie. <laughs> so um you know they do what they can. I the the script's a little overstuffed. Um, and I just saw that the guy who wrote it, he made one, he wrote one more movie after this, uh, the adventures of Pluto Nash with Eddie Murphy. And then he never wrote a movie again. <laughs> so, oh. uh, a movie <laughs> that, that, that uh, killed a lot of careers, I believe Pluto Nash. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think the cast really makes it work pretty much more than anything, honestly, that they got the yeah. really talented no, cast together. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's the chemistry between the cast that works. It's the same as like the spleen is constantly hitting on the bowler throughout the first half of the movie. And there's a great bit where he goes up to her after they have their first quote unquote victory. And he like slowly slides up to her and is like, hey, hey. And she doesn't even look at him. She's just like, my friend, there is not enough beer in this bar to ever make that happen. And he's just like. <laughs> okay and just leaves <laughs> but i don't think that that could have very easily not worked but those two just absolutely nailed the weird friendship that they do have because they they're you know she does like him but he's just constantly like could it be more and she's like no but in a really sort of like you know i get it but no <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah um uh, I'm trying to think. I don't really have any other notes on Mystery Man. Do you have anything else you want to bring up on the movie before we wrap up? Yes. Okay. I, I have at least one more thing that I okay. am surprised that you haven't mentioned. Curious now. Because this film is <laughs> responsible for a phenomenon that even modern audiences and younger generations continue to keep going to this day and is memed to death. Not because of this film, but it is because of this film that they can do so. When they have their first training sequence, what song plays? Oh god! <laughs> well, it's it's all Star by Smash Mouth, right? That's the. It is, and okay. it was a song that was written specifically for Mystery Men. It is I... Mystery Men's song. Yes, I cannot believe I forgot to mention this because I was thinking, like, wow, the biggest cultural impact of mystery man is probably where it has to be the smash mouth song and i remember the music video for it had a bunch of i can't remember it was like the band was like involved in the movie i think they were in the limo i think they kind of did the limo scene with the mystery yeah. man attacking them and smash mouth in the limo or something i'm having this flashback now but yeah all-star really was like the the thing that came out of mystery man that really made an impact had this huge hit song from it and then people didn't see the movie <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's actually so funny because it was it genuinely the song wouldn't exist without Mystery Men. It was supposed to be the Mystery Men song. Right. Yeah. And the fact that um, they included it, they use it in the film. It's the end of the film's song and it did nothing. And the music video had the characters from Mystery Men in it. And obviously that nothing, nothing came of it. And then a, another film that people may have heard of uh, called Shrek. I don't know. It wasn't that big. I don't think um, it used it. <laughs> and a couple, couple people really liked it after that. And uh, 
We are still enduring people singing that song to this very day as a result, but it wouldn't happen without Mystery Men. Yeah, I actually just a few years ago, I think it was pre-COVID, had to I had the uh <laughs> pleasure, misfortune of seeing Smash Mouth perform at a New Year's Eve show at, like that I did not know. I went to downtown uh Virginia Beach and for like they do their own mini like ball drop for New Year's Eve and we got there like a a friend lived nearby and we all met at their house and they were like guys you know who's performing at the the thing tonight we're like who we're like smash mouth we're like what in 2018 or 20 whatever 2019 whatever it was we're like okay um they weren't great i'm gonna say it they weren't great but they did play all-star and everybody went nuts so they you know they played their one big song and everyone was like yeah i guess they had walk on the sun too but uh that it was just weird that i have seen smash mouth live uh and i didn't and it was like not my choice to see them live they were just there (laughs) so uh the funny thing is yeah is it wasn't just mystery men that came out in 1999 that used all-star as their credit song the Mm -hmm. uh the other film was the inspector gadget live action film oh god a movie I still have not seen all of uh, either. I don't know if I, I don't think I need to, but. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> so wow. you, you, uh, you yeah. had two different films, both try and use uh, All Star and they both failed. And then you know, <laughs> two years later, Shrek just came along and slapped them both and said, this is how you make it popular, kids. <laughs> yeah, this is how you do it. Oh, boy. Yeah, that, I'm glad you brought that up because I would have forgotten. And that is like the biggest impact of mystery man is that song honestly so that's crazy um wow uh anything else on your notes you want to bring up uh no not particularly um i think we pretty much have covered mystery men i <laughs> like i say i think final thoughts would be it holds up really well provided you like this sort of thing and i think people who haven't seen it just go in with an open mind and remember that you're watching a film that was created at a time before superhero films really became what they are now. I mean, this literally came out right after Blade, which they would have had no time to incorporate anything right. in Blade in. And that's that's how long ago we're talking. You know, there's a lot of people that can't imagine a world before superhero films, but this is before the first superhero boom even really happened. This is just purely, we have a very popular string of Batman films and we have a a string of superhero, uh, sorry, a string of Superman films of which their popularity varies greatly. And that's really <laughs> it. Like there's, a, there's some other stuff for sure, but that's pretty much what we got. And then Blade came along and sort of changed the game. And then Spider-Man and X-Men, uh, well, X-Men and then Spider-Man came along afterwards, but none of that had happened yet. Like even the ones, even the, the, the good films that people take the mick out of now because they're not MCU, you know, they hadn't even come along yet. So Mystery yeah. Man is is doing a lot of stuff based on comic books, based on televisions, like, you know, Mr. Furious, quite obviously being an incredible Hulk analogy, which is probably more in line with the television show of the Hulk than the comic book. And all of these characters are half inspired by taking the mick out of, but also earnestly giving tribute to these superheroes, films and media. And like you say, it is from a comic book like they they weren't original creations and i'm sure the original writers didn't set out to just go oh look how silly superhero characters are it would have been with the same idea of you know let's make our own thing but let's just make it silly and fun and poke some holes in things that we notice and 
we don't have to go super dark. You know, this isn't a prototype for the boys. This is very much its own thing. It just happened to have a lot of things in it that would become super popular a lot years later. Yes, very well said. And uh, it's just it's funny to me how they were just right before like uh, the the real uh, glut of super movies started in the 2000s. Like they are just they're right there before we get X-Men and Spider-Man and so on and so forth. And um, Daredevil, which we talked about last week, and they're just they're just right there on the cusp, like right before it all hits. Um, It's kind of crazy. So um, it's definitely interesting. I'd love to hear some of these thoughts who like never seen it before now and has lived through mcu stuff and how it plays because i can't divorce myself from nostalgia and seeing it a bunch when i was younger years ago so it plays differently for me i'm sure but i'd love to hear somebody who's like seen all the super movies and go back to mystery men and what that's like so um it's definitely interesting it's yeah aaron vargas if you're listening i think he's talking about you dude Oh yeah, that's a good that's a good one. He's oh he's so young. Every time I see he's like only like 24, 25, I'm like, oh god, I'm so old. But <laughs> he's like, and he's doing so much. He's doing so much cool stuff. So um yeah, I need Aaron's opinion. Maybe my friend Preston, he's younger. Uh I wonder if Daniel Upper's seen this movie. I gotta ask him. Um, I need those kind of guys to weigh in on mystery men. <laughs> so um yeah, well that's we had more we there was more to talk about than I thought when I first started, which is always good. So um thank you for uh being a great guest and having a good conversation with me. I appreciate it. <laughs> thank you for being a good host and having me on and talking back. It's it always helps. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna sit here and sign up to hours and let you just just roll, just go, just do whatever you wanted. Um no, no, I it was yeah, because we started I was like, oh, I don't want to say mystery men, and there was there was plenty of say mystery men, so it all worked out. Um so anyway, well, thank you for being here. I will let you go ahead and plug uh, if you want to have the stuff you have come up on the podcast or just plug all your social media, all that good stuff. Uh, go for it. Ah, uh, ah, uh, wait. Yeah, that's right. I'm a guest. I have to remember things now. <laughs> um, yeah. If you want to follow me on Twitter, because that's what it's called. Um, yes. <laughs> it's at Addicts Action. Uh, I do have a personal Twitter that you'll probably find it if you if you're on there. But it, trust me, it's easier to just go and look up Addicts Action on there. Uh, it's also on Instagram. That one is actually under Action Addicts Podcast because that was it was already taken on Twitter. It's a long story. Um, <laughs> and if you want to find the website, which is currently not got a lot on it, but you can use it as a way to just go to one place instead of trying to find me on social media, it's actionaddictsnetwork.com. Uh, there, there are a couple of articles on it that you can read. There will eventually be more. It's just kind of fallen by the wayside a bit because life happened. Uh, and as far as the podcast goes, Obviously, if you want to go and hear mine and Matt's episode, we did Die Hard. Feel free. It's a great episode. I have no doubt that Matt will be back, hopefully soon, to talk about something else. And as far as the show itself is concerned, there's a couple more episodes of generic action movies that I'm really looking forward to. Our next one will actually be on Jet Li's The One at the time of recording, but it'll already be out by the time you hear this. So you'll probably see that I'm doing ninja movies by the time that you hear me say all of this. So if you like ninja movies... Like I said earlier in the episode, come on by and say hi. I think it's going to be really popular in a good time. And I'm hoping that a lot of people will chat about it on social media because I, as you might be able to tell, I enjoy talking about films. So I never <laughs> turned out the opportunity to do so on Twitter either. And that's, the th- I think that's everything. Yes. I think I, I think I plugged <laughs> successfully. That was a good job. That was actually really well done. I usually am just like, I don't know, follow me here, there. You had it. That was really well <laughs> plotted out. So yes, everyone should be listening to your podcast. I'm sure everyone's excited for Ninja Movie Talk because... People love ninja movies, you know, so um, and I'd be happy to come back on your show whenever you whenever you will have me just, you know, let me know what you want to talk about. I'll be there. Um, 
because I had a great time talking about Die Hard with you. So that was so much fun. And talking about Mystery Men. So we've had a good time, had two good conversations now. So I'm happy. I'm looking forward to more. Um, for our I, stuff. Uh, oh, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> no, sorry. I was just going to quickly add. I, I, I'm very, I, I, I'm happy that we live in a time where your show is going to do Daredevil followed by Mystery Men. Two notoriously, two, two films that notoriously flopped. And you're gonna do them back to back for you. Back to back. Two superhero <laughs> flop. Why don't did Daredevil actually flop or did it make money? I know critically people I'm, hated it, but I I'm pretty sure it flopped. I might be wrong. I I don't I, quote me. I don't remember me and you weren't even talking about the box office. Funny enough, now that you I'm sure we did, but I can't remember what we said. Now I gotta look. I'm sorry. Uh well, okay, it costs a lot. It costs like 78 million, and it made worldwide 178 million. So it didn't really mm-hmm. I mean, it made it made money, but they wanted more money, I'm sure, uh, for a superhero movie. But I'm sure it did great. This is back when you could make money on like DVD. You know, they probably made plenty plenty of money in rentals and people buying DVDs. So um, they probably did fine. But <laughs> I think critically, it was just, yeah, people did not care for it. Um, it is funny. I did not plan to do two like superhero uh, movies back to back, and with my first two guests from the uk funny enough you both like uh, ewan was the first guest i'd had uh from the uk and now you're the second so uh weird coincidence this is happening without really me planning it out <laughs> so um yeah no more superheroes movies next week though i promise we're, we're done for a little bit um and i mentioned it before but again let people know that uh i have a couple more episodes after this um and then we're taking like I'm taking like a pretty long hiatus, although I, it may not be as long as I think, because I I will probably be off most of the month of September. I do plan to drop like one kind of big horror episode in October. I'm not sure when. And then I may do something in November and I have a couple at the end of the year. We always do like our top 10 discoveries. We'll do a top 10 of 2023. That'll probably be early January. But I mean, but I'll be off. I'm just taking a long hiatus because I'm a little burned out on the podcast. And this is the kind of thing where I say this though, and I may get bored after like two weeks and be like, I want to do the podcast again. But for right now, I'm kind of just looking forward to taking it easy most of the fall. <laughs> so, um, but I have two more, uh, not superhero movies. Uh, I won't say what they are yet, but um, you please don't stop listening. People we will still be here. Uh, you can still listen uh, the podcast anywhere. You listen to your podcast. I think we're everywhere. Um, and you could follow the podcast on Twitter at Film Feast Pod. Uh, follow me at Maplet87. Um, you can follow me and the podcast on Instagram, Film Feast, all one word. Um, and that's it for this time. We will be back next week. So uh, we'll talk to you then. Bye, everybody. <laughs>